Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh Chuck, it's uh you're still at home with the uh with the vid, aren't you? Yeah, dude. You it's, got um, uh, you got which when you got Optimus Prime, Megatron, Starscream, which, dude, which I swear to God, I've got the um Flurona, dude. It's fucking crazy. Um, so my kids, we all have it, baby included. Everybody, uh-huh. every swinging dick in the house and not um has it. Um, so our, our little girl has it, who's a uh, little little girl, she's like 18, 19 months. She's got it. Um, and uh so we, we got infected like seven days ago, and then the kids got it. Kids are fine, the kids just have a cough now, they're they're cool, um, but still popping positive. And then today, like, so yesterday we lost taste and smell. And, and we're like, dude, this is five days, six days after the initial yeah. infection. Oh, what yeah. the fuck is going on? Like, because we ran through fevers. We ran through body yeah. chills. That went no, away. My, my sense of, of smell. Sudden, yeah. My sense of smell didn't disappear until the week, like a weekend. Yeah. And then next yeah. thing I know, no sense of smell and taste. Yeah. And I, I thought yeah. it was funny. I was like, nah, it's bullshit. So I walked outside where my classic car is. And I don't smell it. And I'm like, that thing has a distinct smell. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Let me go eat some shit. And so I'm eating it. I have all the textures. And yeah, like, I can taste if it's yep. acidic but mm-hmm. I can't taste any of the any of the food. And I'm like, well, this is cool. I'm drinking whiskey. And then the whiskey, I'm like, normally it goes. Mm, yeah, that's, that's not good. typically Nothing. what they prescribe for COVID, by the way. Well, I mean, promethazine <laughs> whiskey <laughs> and a Z-pack. I got a Z-pack today because I called the doctor. I was like, look, dude seven days man i still feel like shit everyone else feeling better except for me my wife and the little one the two older kids they're fine they're fine it's a lesser yeah. known scottish whiskey called glen vermecton <laughs> anyway <laughs> so yeah so. well this week i'm uh i'm happy that we've got a guest who uh dips his foot into both the veteran world and the police world and kind of functioned in both worlds in very similar ways nate how are you welcome i'm doing thanks man a pleasure being on thank you for having me i'm doing really good you're welcome oh no yeah we're happy to have you uh so you if my if my understanding is correct you were uh in the military as a police officer and now you are in fact a civilian police officer which is something we get asked about a lot so why don't you tell us about uh how you ended up uh, going into the military and and then eventually becoming a civilian police officer. Yeah, so when I was a I was a kid, I did explorers uh, in my my hometown. So I, you know, like 
little kid. I want to be a cop. Yeah. Oh, I went to the military to get the experience. Um, little did I know, uh, military police and the Air Force broke it up. So there's law enforcement function and security function. So the whole time I was there, I did, I guarded uh, missiles and I deployed to Iraq with like a, a kind of a light infantry type unit. So I qualified on police, like handcuffing, you know, stuff like that. Right. So I got out and um, when I got out in 2008, like, well, I possess the skills to do it. <laughs> looked, sounded great on a resume. Right, right. So, yeah, so I got out in uh, 2008 when the recession hit and I uh, ended up cooking in a kitchen for like eight months, met a bunch of dudes that were cool and uh, they they kept me pushing for it. And I got hired in 2010. I uh, went through the academy then. So. so now how long was your academy? Uh, ours is about six months long. Okay. So that's, yeah, six they, I, I, they seem to run anywhere between like 20 weeks, which is like five months at the, at the short end to like some agencies have like nine or 10 month academies. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some have nine like, or 10 really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's, and then there's some like, like uh, in California, I, the only one that I know of is that the California high patrol, it's a live in Academy. So you yeah. go and you live there. Um, you, I, I assume yours was not They're They're kind of rare now. Nate. Uh, we- had the option if you're outside because uh, we're rural up here uh, in northern Arizona. So if you're within, I think it was if you're within an hour, right at an hour, you have the option. But outside of that, you have to stay there. So my agency, uh, they they beeped out on me and I had to drive. I was like right at 59 minutes. So every day was <laughs> two hours. <laughs> it's awesome. You're just trying to drive a little bit slower so that you can be like, no, it's it's been like over an hour each way. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't care. I, I was late, and that, that I got to wear my flavor flave clock for a while. The huge ass wall clock. Oh, That's it's amazing. so nice to know that Easy. other academies do that still. Oh, I didn't. Well, ten, yeah, well, twelve years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I, I mean, my academy. Oh my god, my academy would have been twenty years ago. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. my academy would have been twenty That's... years ago. It was still. You know, I mean, there were still moments where, you know, we, we screwed up really bad mid phase um, and it was somewhat, you know, our own fault and somewhat, you know, just normal right around the mid phase. They want to remind you that you still have a mm-hmm. lot to learn. So halfway through, they're just going to spank you hard. Well, we unfortunately made a couple of boo-boos one right after the other in the week leading up to our mid phase. And so our mid phase was pretty brutal. It was, uh, quote, march them out behind the buses where the college can't see and unfuck <laughs> them. <laughs> Dude, <clears throat> did it work? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it worked. I mean, <laughs> we all, God, I can it was nothing like polishing your uh, leather here because you had chewed it up the day before on the asphalt doing sit-ups where in black leather gear. I think that's a trend in the military and in policing uh, in the academies because in the Marine Corps, it always happens when you go to the range, when it's range week, you fuck up on purpose. They make you fuck up on purpose. No matter what you do, you can't do it right. And they treat you like a baby. And they fuck you up and then 
you finish the range week and you, you go back and you're everything's everything's great and you're like this is crazy and then when you're in law enforcement about that middle phase they're yep. going to either throw you back they're going to take you out of your uniform throw you back into a suit make you feel yeah. stupid make you walk around like a like a dummy um i think it's just it's just to check you so you don't get a big head um and to keep you on the on point and on on the ball yeah i think it's i've seen this trend yeah. everywhere oh yeah it's a trend that's, a, that's exactly how it was we for us. did a little bit extra to earn it so it was the same for you that's good to hear nate because this is this is rural yeah. arizona you're saying yeah the uh, on the other side too though the air force is really hard um i use my salad fork instead of my dinner fork fork and uh <laughs> you know i it was that it wasn't in my lap support off your chair yeah shit shit was ugly man it was a bad day you had to do a, another couple of reps on the on the Peloton. Yeah. Yep. yeah. No ice cream at night, only jello. Never again. Never again. You learned your lesson though. They learned you good. Yeah, I did. Oh yeah. You know what though? Like, I don't I don't know why. I mean, if you think about it, some something deep within all of us should be it's it's like the fire versus police thing. When you kid on a fireman about yeah you get to sleep for a living you get paid to sleep and you get paid to eat and you get you know get to go to restaurants and have little ladies worry that your meal is going to be cold if you if you get called to a call you know and yet we're the dumb ones that got in the line for the police academy instead of the fire academy it's the same thing with the air force man if you know you got a sweeter ride at the air force i mean i don't blame guys for going air force I'll I'll do you one good too. Uh, so I was my original agency uh, after I was with them for two years and there's there's some issues and I ended up uh, walking away and uh, I moved out to Ohio, went to the fire academy, became a firefighter. And my mentor uh, from Sedona called me and said, hey, man, if you still want it. And my dumb ass packed up and moved back there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so what you know, I can't that tells about you it. where your love was, right? Your passion was for oh, law enforcement, yeah. right? So, so you ended up, you got out of, uh, you got out of the air force, went into the academy. Uh, you were sponsored during the academy yet, or, or did you get picked up after? Yeah. Okay. You have to be sponsored here. Okay. So you, you, you're going through the academy, have an agency, uh, six months. Now, how long is your FTO program? How long are you on probation? Those kinds of things. Uh, probation's a year uh, from when you get out of the academy. FTO, I want to say it was a nine week uh, FTO, and then the second time was a ten week FTO. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it, and that's fairly standard. I, I don't know what it is for you guys. So well, for, for us, it, for our agency, um, well, when I got hired, there they had put a state requirement for training time. So I was one of the first trainees to have to go through a specific like hour requirement. Um, They could not release me earlier than 16 weeks or something like that. 12 weeks. I I can't remember, but there was a specific number and it hadn't been that it had been like up to the, the discretion of the field training sergeant up to that point. And now it was like, no, thou shalt not let them out on their own and take the training wheels off prior to this amount of time on the job. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was like for my agency for, for mine. Um, yeah, for the agency that I worked different. for 24, 24 weeks. Um, FTO in three different FTOs. Um, and it's technically, you know, 26, I think it's the 24, right? 
Yeah. It's technically two weeks longer because the first two weeks are like, like break in, like orientation. Right, this yeah. is, you, you yeah. kind of, they allow you to fuck <clears throat> up and to see where you fucking up. And they really go hands on like first, like with like reports and stuff like that and teach you kind of how to do it because the Academy doesn't right. teach you a really good job. So basically it's, it's three months of that with three different or no six months of, of uh, FTO with different FTOs. And then the last six months, because it's a year of probation is with um, either by yourself or with a partner um, generally it's with a senior, um, police officer, um, who's been doing this a lot longer than you have. And then, um, yeah. Or with other training officers, if they have the bodies, which they generally don't. So you right. work with other, um, uh, patrol officers who have a little bit more experience than you. And then you go out. But when I, <laughs> when I was going through, they're like, all right, probationers, you get to partner up today. And we're like, what the fuck? Okay. Crazy. <laughs> They don't yeah. do that anymore, which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy for us. Cause I mean, you guys will, you know, bigger agencies, you'll see more in, you know, a year at times than some guys up here will see in a whole career. So we get our, our phase and we have to talk about, you know, uh, well, hypothetically, if this happens, what do you do? And then right. when they cut you loose, yeah, you may, you know, my first, in my first year, it was me and like guys that were as new as I was. And the Sergeant goes home. We're like, what the hell do we do? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting up here. Yeah. You feel like the inmates running the asylum at, at some points. I, I will say that I, I was in a city police department, but it was in a more rural area of the County. So we had, you know, we had the most square miles of any city in the County, but we had the um, only the fourth highest population density. So we, we had a lot of land and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of cows. Um, but I can tell you that for us, you know, we would end up getting things not quite as often as a big city agency, but we'd get them more often than say, sometimes the county guys would, but there's less people to deal with it. So you're expected to handle yeah. all of it. Like you, there's no give up, like. You're you're handling it from start to finish. And yeah. Burglaries, frauds, right. all the everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it it's it's a it's a bit of a different animal. And I feel like oh, yeah. in some ways there's like I I kind of understand how cities could be broken up and have departments because they're so big where they have people that just function as detectives. And you're like, yeah, this person is a detective. They can ch- write search warrants. They can do book work. They can do this, that, and they're the house mouse. And that person would be like, yes, I'm happy to do that. Because guess what? If you asked them to put on a uniform and a badge and told them to go out and crush crime and suppress evil on patrol, they'd shit a brick. They just, that's just. Or they, not- they would, they, yeah, they would do what they knew how to do 10, 15 years ago. Right, exactly. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's other guys that can, they can go out and hump, man. They can work patrol. They can, they can take those calls. They, they, they're good in a fight. They're tactically sound, but you get on them an investigation and they're just dog shit. But what's interesting about a bigger mm-hmm. agency is you can hide those people according to their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I, I can, I can attest <laughs> for the fact that I was, I would have to work cases with a guy and he was clearly not cut out to work fucking cases i worked but plenty of times patrol and i'm sure nate can attest to this with somebody who clearly is not cut out for work and patrol whether it's your own agency or an agency that's there to back you up so anyway oh yeah you see some stuff and you're just 
uh, you, it's just, it's painful at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Nate, uh, after uh, time in the Air Force and, and now time in uh, rural Arizona I'm, as a as a law enforcement officer, are you? Can you say if you're a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, or can you? Are we? I am a police officer, and I forget which one you said it, but I'm a base coach. Uh, about two ah, years base. ago, I promoted up to sergeant. <laughs> okay, yeah, base coach. That's right. For yeah. those of you who don't remember, base coach, <laughs> a sergeant is a base coach. He's wearing the uniform and he's on the field, but he's not actually playing the game. Just so you know. <laughs> yep. Tell anyway. some people what to do, and That's there right. you go. It's a good job to have. I know guys that hated it, but it's a good job to have. That's what makes a good supervisor. They're not they're not micromanaging that they're officers, right? And they're not they're not what we call it P4ing or whatever, like you're 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 like training officer plusing it, I guess it would be a better word right. to say because that would make more sense to people. You're not training officer plusing yeah. it because you're a supervisor and you're supervising everybody and you're giving your officers your training officers um that ability to do their job and handle the scenes and you're just there for one advice and support and that's it yeah so, yeah i mean and for us so we we have we've got like three so i have three officers and, and myself will be on so depending on the night if it does get busy i i end up having to just jump in the mix and and take and check calls with everybody else and, right. and go so there's times where it's just you know whatever go wherever I need to do whatever I need to do. And yeah, so our, okay, I'll say that's a little bit more like my agency where if the, if the, if the WC had to jump out there and shag calls, they would absolutely do it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. They would go out absolutely out there. I once, okay. I uh, time for another episode, another time story for another time. Um, one, the first time I almost dumped a guy. Um, I was right off of probation and I was next to the lieutenant <laughs> and he, the lieutenant had, the lieutenant had rolled in his take home plane wrap car. So he was the patrol lieutenant wore a uniform to work every day as the patrol lieutenant, but he had a plane wrap take home car. And we had this man with a gun call and he rolled to it. And I was the first on scene to back him up. And so here I am. At a hot, I'm the youngest guy on the department at that point, and the least experienced guy with this former LAPD patrol lieutenant who's worked Southwest, and he just this grizzled veteran, and he's like, he doesn't have half his shit. He's got like a gun and a hand, handcuffs on his belt, you know. Anyway, this is a story for another time, but I, yeah, if you got to do it at at smaller agencies, oh, yeah. you know, you're you're still gonna have to go do it. I once, oh, I, so too- I once backed the chief up on a traffic stop. What? Yeah, he actually what? Damn, yeah, some small agency shenanigans right there. No, no, he Our, he got he got was coming into work and it saw something that upset him. <laughs> he ooh. made the stop. We got our chief. Uh, he came from a bigger agency in California, and he got here and it was like two months on, and he gets on the radio and he arrests somebody. <laughs> and we're like, what? What the hell? So we got him a pink handcuffs all on a plaque and everything. He was the first chief to ever arrest somebody for our agency. <laughs> <laughs> what agency That's was awesome. he from? Uh, he was from Sacramento. Okay. Oh, well, that's why Sacramento hooks and books, man. Like Sacramento. Yeah, he got he got down for a lot. I bet. Well, um, you know, the floor is yours, Nate. We 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 appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm sh- I, I love hearing uh, guys that are outside of California and and in different agencies and stuff, hearing what they bring to the table. It's always so much fun. So the floor is yours, man. What's your story? Awesome. Yeah. So my my story uh. It kind of touches on some of the stuff we were just talking about. 
um, you know, brand new, uh, you know, being with another person that was like, he had like five or six months more on than me and, and dealing with some rural, you know, rural issues. So is uh, my, my buddy and I, so we're on patrol. It was the two of us that day. So we had the whole city. Um, it's about 10,000 people in town and then there's a neighboring, you know, 10,000. So it's, it's the two of us. And it was just one of those days where, um, like you, you get that feeling like it's in the air, like just, it's a, it's a funky day. Right. And the calls that are yep. coming in. Yeah. So it, you, you know, so we were going to fire in the air. Must've been a full moon. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It was, it was something. something, it was weird. I mean, just, yeah, it was a weird day, but so we, we were going call to call and we were just busy and we're, you know, you know, handling most of our stuff solo. And we, you know, we took, um, you know, it took a suicide a lady shot herself in the chest and we had to go out in the field, find her, you know, deal with that. Mm. Um, and while we're dealing with that, we get that wrapped up, you know, as our, you know, the one detective shows up, um, you know, we get a hot tone to some guy who's in an ambulance just outside of town that was just losing it, uh, and, and was fighting with, the, with our state troopers. So we had to, you know, go three run over there and it was, I don't know, 10, 10 minute drive to get there. So we get there and he's fighting the ambulance is rocking. So my partner's going in and as I'm getting ready to get in my car, then the next call comes in and it was, uh, you know, ladies making, uh, making threats. She wanted to kill herself. Stated that she's going to the little league field or the, the bank or not the bank, but the post office is right there to go shoot people and get you, you know, have us come shoot her. Right. And it was opening day for little league. And she was, it's probably God three blocks the tops from the little league. So field. it's a legit threat. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we'd been dealing with her before and, you know, so it comes out. And so I'm, you know, screaming across town, trying to, you know, get there, you know, trying to get my rifle out. I've got like nine months on I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. Here we go. Um, like really so I get, real? get on scene. This is, this is, Oh yeah. It's happening now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was, I was officially done with the day before that happened. Right. Yeah, I know. Like it, you're really, really. <laughs> so anyway, go oh, ahead. Fuck. So I get, so I get there and, and, um, they, uh, thankfully the saving grace, um, was one of my, uh, sergeants checked on shift like 30, 40 minutes early. Um, so we didn't check but he heard it. So that was, that was nice. So uh, he gets there and I get there and I drive like right by her because I'm new. I don't know what I'm looking for. And, you know, like you just passed her. So I get dump out of my car and there she is. And it's, you know, walking to the sidewalk and she's getting right around the corner to go down to uh, the little league field. Um, and there's so small town baseball, those sports are huge here. Um, and there's, if I had to guess thousand to 1500 people down there. Um, so it's pretty packed. Yeah, it was pretty packed. It's a and they're starting, and it's like in between games. So cars, yeah. yeah, it is. It's you know, it's, so there's a bunch of cars coming, going, you know, and it, traffic's bad. So we got traffic kind of stopped now, and everybody's gawking, looking what's going on. And you know, there she was, and she's on the sidewalk. She's got her cane. She got her hand on her 1911, and she's just you know, shoot me, kill me, shoot me. <laughs> um, oh shit! Yeah, and I got my rifle out. And how old is she? Yeah, there's. <laughs> she had to have been in her six, late sixties. God damn. There's there's more to it. There's there's okay. more to it. <laughs> Go along. So 
Oh yeah. So, so, you know, I got my rifle out and I'm standing there and I'm just kind of like, Oh God, you know, what, if she takes her gun out, then this is what's going to happen. Like I've, you know, I've, I've set my mind on it. You know, I'm used to the military deployed, you know, so I wasn't uncomfortable, but now I'm in the police side and there's people everywhere. Like I, my line of sight, my shot is like a sidewalk and there's cars that are coming in and out behind it. I just, it, it's not a good spot to be in where we're at. So we delay and we're waiting She and we're trying to talk to her and she's like, she's not giving it to us. Like what, you know, you know, saying her name, she's like, Nope, I'm not telling you my full name. You're a civil servant. Your job is to serve the public. And I'm telling you to kill me. That's your job. Oh um, God. She's very yeah. specific. So it was one of those after, Oh, she was after about a minute, not five minutes, but a minute or two, you know, it's, you know, it's not, it, it, it was going to go that way. Um, so some more officers showed up. Um, I think by the end of it, there were, I think like three of us there and I could hear on the radio, uh, deputies from our County that we we're in were, you know, coming from, a you know, Seligman Ash Fork kind of, which is a hundred miles, you know, hour and a half hour, maybe if you're going code three, hundred miles an yeah. hour the whole way. Yeah. You know, so people were coming from everywhere, but it was going to be a while. It was going to um, be a while. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what were the significance of the stories is, I mean, that's not a super uncommon thing to deal with. I think, you know, suicide by cop stuff. What got me was, is, you know, she was, she was, you know, going towards my sergeant kind of like egging him on. She wasn't really going, going. And then she started walking towards me and, you know, being new, like, what can I, can I do? Like all the questions are going through my head. And there came a real distinct moment where, I was like, I, w- I was afraid, you know, like fear for my life. Like this chick's legitimately going to pull this gun out and I'm going to tie with her at best. Right. And I was like, and I paused. I'm like, you dumbass. This is what they taught you in the academy. This is what everybody said. Like I'm in fear for my life. Like if she takes, and she was in a sidewalk square and I was like, if she steps out of that square, you know, I was, I was going to end it. Um, Cause she was about 20, actually 22 feet uh, away from me. So right. close enough. I, I was uncomfortable so the other other she she forgot about me uh, because you know the other officers were kind of set up in an l on her and and we're trying we're just trying everything we can um and traffic's traffic's chaotic now you know this has been going on for i think we're there for like five minutes maybe six minutes and it's just at this point it's packed in that area um and you know in in my the the great idea i had was i'm gonna bring a taser to a gunfight (laughs) lessons learned right Um, well, you know, <laughs> less learned because yeah, I'm like, something has to happen. I mean, we're just sitting here with this chick and it's like, we're all saying the same thing. We're talking in circles and, you know, something has to happen. Something has to do something. So I pull my taser, yeah. the other guy see it and, and I get a good, you know, I, I put my rifle down. I, you know, clap my taser off the taser thing and quick, if, if that's okay, I, I yeah. want to back up to something you said oh, yeah. because you had mentioned the moment you realized, uh, duh, dummy. I'm in fear for my life, right? Like, like that. You have this aha mm-hmm. moment. Like, oh, the mo- the moment you go, holy crap, this lady could kill me. You are in fact in fear for your life. You just had that realization that your life could end, right? So we're now yeah. in the lethal force conversation, right? Yeah, it's deadly but, force option now, right? Mm-hmm. Right. However, oh, yeah. th- when you get to there, there comes a point where you start to do this mental math and. Contrary to what, um, you know, the media likes to portray, cops have conscience. And when you start to realize, 
that there also is a question where sometimes you have to ask yourself, okay, I probably have the justification to shoot her, but I really don't want to. And you are delaying as long as you possibly can. It sounds like that's kind of where you're at with this. The escalation. No, no, I, 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 I'll, I really wanted to shoot her because I was pissed <laughs> off that she was going there to, you know, kill people, and she was. Uh, okay. I mean, it was there. I mean, I'm, I'm still fresh out of the military, and I'm like, oh, like you're going to kill people. I just, it was that, you know, you know, drinking out of a, out of a fire hose for the nine months, um, and you know, I knew I had my, you know, my the other guys, you know, they're all on the SWAT team, they're real tactical dudes, and you know, so they had that cover. I'm like. I'm going to try something here because she's just standing there now with her hand on her gun and she's just, you know, we're just yelling back and forth at each other. And it's, it's just, we weren't going anywhere. So what was the hesitation then? If you, if you had the, if you had the will and you, and you had the, did it just not click in your mind that she was good to go? Or were you, was it still just that fear of I'm a new cop? I don't, I, I'm not quite sure what, what I should do. I do it. I knew in that, in that moment when it, when it hit, you know, when I had that realization, it was like, I knew I was good to go at that point. Um, I mean, it, it, it farted the wrong direction. I was going to shoot her. Um, but she, she stopped. That was the thing is, is she, she stopped, you know, dead in her where she was at. And then her focus, like in that moment, completely went away from me to talking to the other officers. So it, it maybe did feel like things had, like, okay, she's not encroaching on anybody anymore. She's not pushing it. Um, mm-hmm. And we're set up on her. So we're going to try what we can try. We're going to try to deescalate. Right. As, That's you know, that, I don't, okay, so there is a little bit of, I don't have to. Like yeah. I could have, but I don't have to. So let me let this play out for a minute. There is some of that then. Right. Okay. Oh yeah. So, so anyways, I let my, so I let my taser off and um, that's how I know she was like right at 22 feet. Cause um you know how you see things in slow motion. I watched my taser prongs perfect spread would have been the taser shot of the century, but I watched the lines completely straighten out, just doink and stopped right at where she was standing. So, and then I watched and I watched them bounce. I watched them bounce back and boy, the gig was up, man. She 25 feet, six inches. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And, but the, she looked at me, man. And the look that she gave me was one of the most, like, how dare you try to take this from me? And at that moment that I knew. So I dropped my taser, I dropped my taser and I was bringing my rifle up to, to shoot her. Like I just right there, I was like, I'm shooting her. Like she talked to me through her, through how she looked at me. Right. Uh, Cause I knew what was going to happen. And right as my, you know, right as my sights were getting up on her to, to shoot, uh, she, Tried to pull her gun out, and then um, one of the other officers in the street shot her. Um, and she, you know, she died um, right there. And there were, you know, there were so many lessons learned for me on that 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 incident helped shape my career. Um, you know, I I didn't have representation. You know, so afterwards I'm like, uh, you know, shit. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't get the. I didn't. I don't pay my dues. You know, there was that the hesitation that I had bringing a, you know, a taser to a gunfight. Um, right. you know, there was just, there was a lot and, you know, so that's, you know, and I, I went into SWAT and I defensive tactics instructor, twisty wristy stuff, as you'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
you know, so it was just, it was a huge incident for me, um, to, to really think about and chew on it nine months on. Um, and the 1911 thing I say is, so she, they did CPR on her. We saw that and, you know, she had female stuff. And then the next day they told us that she had another gun and she didn't have female stuff below the belt. So she had, um, she was in the process of going through a change. Um, and then she just was never able to get it done. She kept getting cancer and got sick and, you know, was tired of life. So she had a very male approach to things. Um, you know, 1911 combat boots, you know, the whole nine. And cause that was really weird that a 60 something year old lady is going to go out like that. Okay. So that makes a lot more sense because you're talking about, and, and we all know this, you know, very male behaviors in law enforcement. For example, we've talked about uh, women typically don't shoot themselves in the face, right? Men do. We've talked yep. about women don't, they poison, you know, they, they, they use pills. They, you know, men hang, you know, that like there's different ways that people do violence. And it, it, you know, it is a lot of there contrary to what society wants you to believe there is a difference between the two genders. So that is, interesting now that you say that that there's so many male behaviors oh, yeah. exhibited by the suspect only to find out that it's another lobster claw story <laughs> oh yeah it was and it was funny because we were like no you're wrong we i know what i saw yeah. <laughs> it, it took us a bit but yeah it, you know it's not not the you know the sexiest biggest story in the world you know i've had some other stuff that's you know more of like a war story but i think that one was good because you know, being rural, there's so many things that we have to deal with, with, with fewer people and the resources that, you know, we don't have, you know, it really, it really makes it interesting. And, you know, and I'm proud of that. I hang my hat on that. Like, I really am proud that I work for a small rural place and, you know, here's a sock, a cat and some duct tape, go figure it out. And you're like, yeah. And I will, I will say that uh, coming from a smaller agency, I'll tag up on that as well is that I, I know the, I know the bigger agency guys and, and yeah, there was an element of like, I would love to go, you know, play rock'em sock'em robots. And I got to do that when I was loaned out, you know, but at a smaller agency, there was this element of filling, you know, be, being there to completion, being, you know, present through all of it, but also knowing that, you know, there was nobody coming. Like you, you have to make a decision. You have to be prepared to make that decision yeah. by yourself. Uh, you know, they always tell you, they always tell you, never arrest anybody by yourself. And yet I know cops oh. that have had to do it and are like, well, I, I wasn't going to stand there with my thumb at my ass for 15 minutes waiting for another officer because that's how far away they were. I, I just put the cuffs on her and hooked her up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you know, you know, you know and they, yeah, you know, and they know, and it's like, Everybody knows that each, everybody knows that what's going to happen. And yeah, it's, but that's part of like what we're teaching now, like getting into de-escalation, doing it the right way, you know, right. with us being safe about it and understanding that de-escalation isn't always like pretty, you know, rah, rah, the bad guy is alive or this person's good. I mean, it, it can get nasty, but it's, it's about doing it safe. And if you can wait for a partner, be smart, even though we're rural, if you, if you got to wait five minutes to go, wait five minutes um you know if you, know, you can the, you one, can. <clears throat> the one thing that i would say about de-escalation is people forget especially um in bigger agencies when they have more officers and things like that and you know you have you know whether your supervisors being scared or, or whatnot 
people forget that de-escalation is one verbal, two different force options, starting with one pepper spray, if you can, baton, if you, you know, uh, taser, Mm -hmm. uh, beanbag or 40 millimeter foam baton rounds. Um, And then lethal force is lethal force is a part of de-escalation because if all those other force options and de-escalation tactics fail and you are still met with that deadly force option and scenario and you have to take action deadly force is part of de-escalation and and i see far too many supervisors yeah. saying oh well de-escalation we, we can't go hands-on we can't go hands-on no 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 bullshit oh, you yeah. can de-escalation is is a set of um formulated options that you have in your disposal in your tool belt to, to utilize keep it during getting conflict worse yeah and if it, it can gets always worse, get worse yep so you at some point action. you have to decide this always. is where it stops and no further. You know, this is this is it. Yeah. When I they see, when I they put their say many, in when the, Yeah. I mean, I but, see far too many scenarios where you see cops basically talking for long periods of time with people and they're they're gaining ground, they're losing ground, they're allowing the suspect to gain ground. Next thing you know, they're being chased by a suspect where they should never have been chased with a deadly weapon. You know, it's happened in California numerous of times. It's been on captured on camera where you see coppers who, you know, maybe it's a supervision, maybe it's the coppers that are afraid to take action where they end up allowing the suspect to run the situation and scenario. And it ends up leading to a deadly force scenario. And it was already a deadly force option to begin with, but because of people are afraid because they're afraid of the deadly force aspect of de-escalation or the hands-on approach or the mm-hmm. i'm about to have a major use of force they're afraid to take action and you see far too many times where officers put themselves in bad situations because they're like well i gotta oh, yeah. I have to talk it to death no 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 you have to talk oh. to a point and then you have to start taking action and if that yeah. action fails you move to the next force option if that one fails and you're left with the ultimate scenario where you're like fuck i have to take someone's life well that's part of it and yep. you have to be willing to do that to save lives, to save the public, to save yourself and other officers. And it, I see that mistake being oh, like yeah. far too often. Yeah. And that's huge. in what I teach or what we, you know, what we were adopting. And, you know, one of the things that I heard that really shifted, like de-escalation, it's, it's for people, you know what I mean? And that can shift. And, you know, if a bad guy has a hostage, you know, and he's getting ready to kill her, you're de-escalating that for her, not him. And right. that the only option you may have is to shoot that person. Yeah. Like you said, that's right. de-escalation and people don't wrap their head around it sometimes, but it's, I mean, it, it's tough, but I'll, I'll hang my, I'll do it for the rest of my career because of what I learned. And if, if some dude or some gal who's nine months on doesn't have to make the same mistakes I did or have to, you know, wonder about that. You know, that's you keep know, doing it. There's, do it. There's an element of um, use of force that I, it's there's a there's a different trigger that you have to be willing to pull. And I I I used to talk about this uh with defensive tactics, but um if you know when it's time to talk and when it's time to not talk, like there is a very definite line and it comes from sizing people up. It comes from learning how you know, people used to joke around that I was Teflon and that, you know, I, I, cause I never got complaints and it was, you know, if they did, they could never stick to me. And I, I would say that's because you have to know who you can motherfuck and get away with it. Right. You really have to know people. Yeah. And if you know people all day long, you'll know I can talk to this guy and I eventually can talk him into cuffs. And then you look at the very next guy and you're like, it doesn't matter how long I talk. This guy is not going to go willingly. 
So in being able to make those decisions early on, being able to size people up like that, you'll know that the de-escalation of force means with the second guy who is not going to go under any circumstances, you're going to snatch him up as fast as you can before he even has a chance to start chatting and getting hyper and getting upset about the fact that he knows now he's going to jail. You're just going to be like, hey, turn around, put your hands behind your back and snatch him up, knowing that the second he makes the connection that he's going to jail, it's on like Donkey Kong. But then there's other people where you're like, if I snatch this dude up like that, he's going to freak out and he's going to what the hell and it's going to be a fight whereas if i just explain it to him yep he'll go with the program and if you yeah. can't make oh, yeah, those no, judgment calls you yeah, i don't know what to tell you yeah sometimes sometimes it's painful and and to watch but you know and that's for like as a profession where sometimes it was like it was hard one of the reasons i walked away is is, you know, if you watched me, you know, like you're, you're Teflon, you can talk, you know, certain guys into handcuffs or, or not, but you watch me doing it and I'm screwing up by the numbers. You know, people had this attitude of just like, well, I'm going to sit here because it's not my call or I'm not going to get, you know, they don't want to be a part of something that's going bad um, and they just let it happen. And that yeah, bugged me that people, that cops won't step, sometimes step up and be like, no, dude, like, hey, and step in. It just, well, look you know, at that. What was that? That call we just uh, what it just happened in um, where the the female officer stepped in, and the sergeant choked her out when she was stepping in on how he was handling with this other suspect. The suspect was already cuffed, and the the sergeant steps in like he's going to pepper spray him with cuffs on, and the girl was following following whatever that state training was which is the duty to intervene they now as police officers if they see what they perceive as excessive force they are required by law Mm -hmm. to intervene so she stepped in and grabbed this sergeant's belt and the sergeant turned around and c-clamped her on the throat Ooh, yeah i saw that i saw that and texas i've seen that one yeah it's 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 out there but here's the thing like i've seen i've seen women handcuffed in the backseat of a police car get punched in the face by a man and i had no problems with it none whatsoever because of the circumstances that were surrounding it when you're being bitten (laughs) you can do whatever you want to the person that has your flesh in their teeth to get them to open their mouth and if that's punching a woman you can punch that woman i have no problems with but there's other times where i've seen things and i'm like bro here, let me show you how you can gain compliance a different way next time <laughs> because you didn't need to go through all that nonsense. You didn't need to do all that mess. Like, here's the point where you lost your yeah. audience and they want, they decided they were going to go sideways on you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's a level just, of you watch up, You walk up and you see and you just cover your mouth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've Definitely seen suspects, handcuffed suspects, headbutt officers in the back of a station heard of stories where handcuffed suspects have were walking to the car and used the car as leverage and fell back on the officers busting the officer's elbow mm-hmm. causing the officer to have multiple surgeries on that yeah. elbow and take them out of the fight there's yeah. been t- okay so it is it's not uncommon and it's, it's a very well-known practice in prison that when you're in prison for a long extended period of time and you're a career criminal, you learn techniques and tactics against yeah. cops, especially with being handcuffed. That's where they develop the Folsom role. 
from Folsom Prison, where you know I'm gonna put my hands like this on top of the fucking car, and you're gonna search yeah. me. And then they roll on you, and the next thing you know, they have their your arm, or they learn techniques when they're handcuffed to grab your belt and take you to the ground and start fighting with you and trying to get your gun. They've learned how to disarm officers by, you know, going through triple retention holsters and, and things like that and single snap, single retention holsters. You know, it's not uncommon for suspects to learn how to fight handcuffed. So if you're handcuffed, doesn't mean that that threat is over. It means you have to carefully watch that that suspect and you have to watch your hand placement where you're not carrying your, you're not holding the cuffs and, you know, in between each other mm-hmm. because you they can twist and you can pinch your fingers. Yeah. And they can, you know, take oh, yeah. flesh, you know, they can grab your hands. And next thing you know, you're in a fight and you're in a fight for your life because there's a gun involved and it's your gun. And yeah. so it's not uncommon for suspects to learn techniques to disarm cops and to do it when they're handcuffed. So it's it's just like when you see cops, you know, in fighting a handcuffed suspect, people are like, oh, that's that's excessive. Like, no, it's it's really it's not unless they're unconscious and they're just being beat for no fucking reason. Yeah. It's, unless you uh, know it, it, like what's going on and what the context is, it's really yeah, hard. Yeah. I mean, Chuck and I have, have, have a thread on the locker room and we will share videos uh, with our <laughs> friends from the locker room podcast, Matt and Marco. And we will look at the videos together. Matt will send us videos and be like, Hey, like, you know, is this like, was, and I'll say I'll, there was one recently where I'm like, well, it may have been lawful and legal and clean, but it certainly doesn't make us look good as a profession. Well, the, I know. Yeah. And I, well, it doesn't matter. But my point is, is that like, I can look at an incident and say, uh, yes, that is a way that is lawful and, and you can handle it that way. That's just not, I mean, there's a lot better ways to handle these kinds of things. And unfortunately, a lot of that is about training. A lot of that is about working with your partners. A lot of that is about advancing. Mm-hmm. Like Brazilian jiu-jitsu cops that go out and train BJJ, um, you know, cops that go out and take a martial art, whether it's BJJ or not. I don't want to, you know, fall into the church of BJJ, but um, I learned that was part yeah. of what yeah. I learned. The, and like what I sure were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, and, and that's the thing. Like, I, I you know, um, I understand that because of what I was taught and because of the way I was an instructor included elements from everything, including DJ, all of that stuff integrates into making you a better officer because an officer that can handle any situation, like he knows, okay, I've made the decision that I know if this guy pulls a knife on me, number one, I'm going to get cut and I'm okay with it. Number two, I know how to take the knife away from him and, you know, come away with maybe a superficial slash on my arm. And then number three, if I have to bury it in him, I can do that. Right. There's a, that guy's going to have inherently more confidence in his game when he talks to suspects than some kid who all he's learned is the couple of twist locks and, and joint manipulations and, and, and maybe some of the, the wristy twisty pugilisty stuff at the Academy, but he maybe never had a fight. In his life, maybe she's never been punched in the face. Maybe they've never rolled on the ground with somebody in a wrestling match and like felt what it feels like to be out of breath yeah. and scared you're gonna die. We 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 basically taught them just enough to get their asses kicked. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. have a fucking guy, and I know a little bit about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Krav Maga and, and boxing. 
um, especially from the time that I learned in the Marine Corps and then all of the dumb times that we decided to fight black belts who were instructors, which is fun. <laughs> uh, and so much asking, fun. But you learn so much from getting your ass beat by a fucking oh, black belt or a, double, oh gosh, a yes. triple black belt or a double black belt in, in that martial arts because you take so much away from that because you're like, okay, I can't do that. This is what's going to happen. That's the counter. And you learn that stuff. And I had a fucking use of force where if it wasn't for me knowing what I, what I knew how to do and the techniques that I knew I would have been really fucked up. And the guy tried biting my fucking arm and um, long story short, he ended up with a broken uh, orbital bone and um, a big ass slash mark over his face. And uh, I thought his arm broke, but apparently it didn't um, because he's like Gumby. He's a meth head. Mm Um, but, uh, if it wasn't for the, the, the techniques I learned from Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it would have been a lot longer fight. And there's only two of us and our help was, you know, minutes and minutes and minutes yeah. away. I mean, that fight went on for four minutes. And then finally, when he's in cuffs, that's, long, that's when you start hearing time. the sirens and you're like, fuck. And he was in cuffs and he bleeding all over the place. But if it wasn't for the techniques that I had learned, you know, it would have been a lot different fight and a lot different momentum um, and it momentum towards him, not towards us. And, um, you know, oh, I just yeah. think that honing your skills outside of what the Academy teaches you, because look, if you've never been punched in the face, you might want to go get in some martial arts and get punched in the face because you don't want your first time being out on the street and getting rocked yeah. because you're not going to know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be, your life's going to be in danger. So partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not a good position to be in because it does not feel yeah. good That's, I'll, I'll say this for some of our uh background requirements is that sometimes we shoot ourselves <laughs> in the foot during backgrounds when we take people with what arguably has a background that could make them a better police officer and we disqualify them um there are people i think that have proven themselves to have done maybe questionable things in their youth but have turned their life around that those young dumb things running from the cops rolling with the wrong crew maybe smoking a joint when they were a teenager you know they have a little bit of life experience and they understand the world i mean let's face it uh wyatt earp was not a good man so to speak no (laughs) he's not what you would call a nice guy um so anyway he was a pillar that man was that man was a saint (laughs) that's right never did anything (laughs) wrong Patrick Swayze, man. <laughs> yeah, right? So uh that's my man. <laughs> so let me go back to your call with um I guess the 1911 tranny. <laughs> um you said at nine months on you learned more from this um than a lot of other calls you'd been on. Uh now what would you say is your biggest or was it with nine months on you learned? from that call what what did you walk away going holy shit uh if you think you're ready you're not that was the biggest thing if you think you're ready you think you got it figured out you flat the fuck out don't and if you don't prepare train and aggressively go after you know you know learning being proficient doing those things then you'll never be ready because all we really do is just try to bridge the gap from here to there and that was the biggest thing was I thought I was ready. And I, you know, there were a lot of unanswered questions in my head that I had to answer real quick. And, you know, if I can help other people not, 
you know, not have to go through that or at least shorten that gap up for them. You know, that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think that's a good takeaway. Cause I mean, anybody that's listened to this podcast long enough has known that we say, you know, have a plan then have a backup plan and then have another plan. Cause your backup plan is probably not going to work either. You know? Right. And then, and, and then if all else fails, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I got to grab so, a charger real quick. No, that's fine. I, I think that, um, that's probably a great takeaway. There's probably a lot that you probably learned about like dispatch when they tell you something, when, when they send you to something assumptions, you know, uh, I mean, cause let's face it, they, they sent you to a woman. <laughs> so there's, there's the first mistake, <laughs> but you know, I yep. mean, there's all these different things and you're going, what the hell is happening? It, it just, every step of the way, it appeared to be, you know, something, your taser, you thought your taser was going to work. Taser's not going to work. You thought this was a woman. It was a man, you know, behavior ch- is different. You know, the, 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 all these things are different. So I'm sure for have somebody having nine months on that really does teach you, you don't know what you don't know until you know, you don't know it very fast. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's rural is, and that's the challenge of rural is there's a lot of things. I mean, that I think I know and in my mind, but you know, the, I had a new officer, well, not new, like two or three years on from a, you know, big shitty part of uh, Phoenix. And he came up here and I had a call and as a supervisor, I'm like, Hey buddy, how many times have you dealt with this? You know, you know, a shooting, massive shooting or something. And, you know, in a populated, you know, resort, and he's like, not a lot, but I've dealt with it in the hood like every other week. So I let him take it over. It just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do at that? Like just the job, the job changes every day. You can't have it. Right. The job mm-hmm. changes every day. It, it, the minute you think you've got it mastered, it's going to flip you. Right. The minute oh, yeah. you think it, yeah, it, it's, I remember doing shit where I go back and I look at my, and I go, Oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. You know, there's going to be moments where you're going to go, I'm lucky to be alive. That was dumb. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Those are there too. But you know, what's funny is that when we do follow on training with our Academy, you know, and then they send you down to the Academy and you're like, Hey, you got to do some follow on training, some defensive tactics, hands-on shit, some scenarios. And you're down there for a whole day. And you're dealing with cops who have been working in fast-paced divisions or areas. And they're, they've gone and done with a lot of shit. And then you have other cops that have really been working more like sleepy areas that, you know, they can speed up, but they, you know, they, they generally stay kind of slow. Um, and then they give you a scenario where you're like, you have to take action. And um, you have a cop who's like, hey, man, you're trying to de-escalate, de-escalate, and you get close enough. And next thing you know, you go hands on with the fucking instructor and the instructor's like, whoa, this is not supposed to happen. I'm like, yeah, but it works, right? <laughs> and you take that person. Uh, exactly. Like, exactly. exactly. And they're like, what? what? Yeah. But that's not how the scenario is supposed to go. You're like, I don't give a fuck. That's how it went. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I fucking love when my officers, when I put a, like a bulletproof scenario together and some dude walks in and just does something that's so outside the box and just smacks my head. I mean, whatever. I love that. <laughs> because it means it's you're working. Yeah, it means yeah. they're. Yeah, thinking. that's that's. I love that. I, I always see coppers and they and they give them like these fucking snares and they follow them all throughout like the fucking streets and they're walking through cars and shit and it's all like a fake scenario and then you mm. they're like all right mm. let me get the next group of officers and they end up getting them in custody but like way down the fucking road they like put themselves in harm's way and shit 
And then you're like, hey, come here, let me talk to you. And you've already you've already got your shit in, in your head. And you're like, all right, I know I can go hands on. And you just walk up and swoop that dude up real quick or that female up real quick. And they're like, what do you mean? And then you articulate it and they're like, oh, shit, we didn't even mm-hmm. think of that. But yeah, it's because we've been working on the streets and you've yep. been in here. And, you know, textbook, oh, yeah. and we know real people. Well, I, I will uh, yep. tell you that in my academy class, we had an instructor that would start every class, every, you know, because he would teach a block. And every time he would have his first block with us or every class that he would have his first block with, he would start by um, showing a clip from Raising Arizona, right? And it's the the liquor store robbery at the beginning of Raising Arizona. For those of you who haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, And he would give a prize out to the student who could tally up the most violations. And the reason the guy was the guy was teaching legal codes. So he would give a prize out to the student who could come up with the most violations in the one, you know, two and a half minute sequence of the movie. And I remember the year I was in there, uh, this girl beat the guy because she she had one more than he did. And he and he goes, what'd you get? And we went through the list and everybody went, yeah, how'd you get another one? And she goes, the baby's car seat wasn't buckled in properly. And we were like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking awesome. And. I like, but it was one of those things where everybody in the class, even the instructor, had seen it from one way for so long, and then this gal comes in and just points out that the car seat wasn't done properly and and fucks everybody up. So, if you're not learning, if you're not looking for another angle, if you're not trying to find another way to skin a cat, you know that's the that is the whole job. Like that's like, shit. How do I fix this? <laughs> So <laughs> shit'll buff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So well, Nate, I appreciate you coming on um and sharing that. I I really like stories that are about things that really stick with you for the rest of your career. Um, those always seem to resonate with people the most because they either have had something like that happen to them or it causes them to understand something that is going to happen to them a lot easier down the road. Oh yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. And like you said, gotta, learn, make your own mistakes. Real, real fast. Sticks with you for forever. I had a handcuffed gal uh, stuff her hand in her pants, transporting her, and I stopped and like, get, get your hand out of your pants. And all she says is, it relaxes me. What? What? I had to watch this girl. I had to watch this girl masturbate in the back of my car for 45 uh, minutes to the jail. What the and fuck? Then I, <laughs> Yeah. And then I went back and watched. I arrested her like two weeks before that at night. And I was like, let me watch this shit. Turned on my night, the night camera. And she did it both times. And it just relaxed her oh. all the way to freaking jail. I was like, the fuck? who the fuck does that? Uh, yeah. I will remember that forever. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Nate. Well, well, we thank you for coming on and sharing. Yeah, yeah man. Thanks. <laughs> now, Chuck told me you have somebody on that note to dedicate your episode yeah. to. Yeah, so, very fitting. You know, um, so yeah, two people, um, buddy of mine, uh, Justin Rivers and uh, Sumner Cowan, two guys I served with uh, when I was in the Air Force. Uh, great dudes, um, really good. Some uh, unfortunate things occurred, uh, and uh, both of them ended up taking their own lives um, at a you know different different periods. And you know they they were two of the two of the best guys I've ever known. Um, great friends. Uh, went overseas with them and. You know, we, we lose a lot of cops to, to suicide every year and it gets overlooked a lot. And, you know, they were, 
they were good dudes. They were good coffers. They were good, good soldiers. And so I really wanted to dedicate it to uh, Justin and Sumner. Well, rest easy brothers. We've got it from there. And I, I will ring that bell till I'm blue in the face. We talk about, this is not a mental health podcast. This is not group therapy. This is, you know, us getting together and swapping fun stories and hoping that people will learn something about our professions. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we've come away with on a regular basis is that this job takes an emotional toll and you need to reach out and get help from time to time. And as much as I get upset when we, tell stories or or do dedications where somebody died because they lost their life fighting a fire or, or intervening illegally or in a pursuit, the suicides bother me more because those are avoidable. And yeah, it sucks. I I just, I, I, I understand if you've lost your life in the line of duty um, and, and that's awful, but to be able to avoid it, that's mm-hmm. tragic. And so we should avoid it at all costs. So anyway, on that happy note, yep. like we always end with, I, I, Nate, I really do appreciate you coming on. And I thought that uh, it was a really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't see the twist coming at the end. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it was a pleasure. Um, this, you guys have helped me out through a lot of stuff. I went through, uh, you know, some life changing stuff a few years ago. And, and, uh, I just drive with my kids to Utah. Um, I was looking at podcasts and I was like, I'll try this one out. And you know, it, yeah, it, it definitely is, is helped me in a big way. So I thank you guys uh, for putting this out there and we appreciate yeah, it's it. Much appreciated. You're doing good work. I appreciate it. I know Chuck does Chuck, John, you know, he appreciated it. We're, we're the got locker room guys appreciate it uh, because we do this, you know, because we love it. It, it helps when we hear people say, you know, this really, really got me through some tough times so that's that, that yeah when we hear i i can't tell you how many listeners have have accidentally sent me a message that said hey man we really appreciate what you guys are doing at just the moment where i was like oh do i really want to do this week and da, 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 da. <laughs> so I brother brother keep doing it man because i got to stay awake at three in the morning <laughs> well and i tell i tell you guys it's not our show it's it's all of our show it's it's just, it's not chuck yeah. and i it's all it's all of us so we we appreciate you yeah. and uh hey if i get to the point i know some of you guys are asking about other podcasts chuck's got uh some stuff i've got some stuff brewing where we're going to be able to have some other podcast guests from other social media outlets on but uh you know hey if we can get to a point where this podcast uh can pay the bills i'll quit and do it you know five days a week i don't care <laughs> I don't have a problem doing that. (laughs) So anyway. All right. Chuck, do you have anything as we're closing out? Yeah. Hey, I I know you got to give out that booking.war stories. Yeah. Booking.war stories at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, Um, you want to send, send me some, some stuff and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, If you do want to come on the show, you go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Go to Instagram, Facebook. If you forget link is in the bio, Um, but just, uh, send a quick blurb of, of, you know, the story that you want to tell your history real quick. And um, if you'd rather talk over a phone or, or just email, you know, drop your cell phone number in there too. I can always give you a call. Um, and then uh, we can go through it like that. Um, it's pretty, pretty painless. Um, and then if you want to want to support us, you know, go to uh, our website is also the link in the bio um, on Facebook and Instagram. 
and that's uh warstories.com and you can go there you can get the uh Wooby hoodie you can get our shirts patches stuff like that warstoriesofficial.com we yeah. still got the Wooby hoodies can, um i will not be mailing anything this week um no, i'm not you don't trying to touch any of the stuff I'm not trying to touch anything until I'm 100% clear. I'm, I'm not touching any of the merchandise or anything like that. Yep. Um, that way I keep it nice and clean. And then after I'm, you know, done being, you know, sick and stuff, um, I, I will not going to touch it for another couple of days. That way to make sure that if there are any germs are floating around anywhere, they are killed um, because they can only live on the surface for 24 hours. So uh, if you have ordered something and I haven't shipped it yet, there is a reason Just I'm not shipping patient. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be patient. Get on there, though, and uh, support us. You know, um, But if you're tired of waiting and you just want to get it over and done with, I'm sure if you DM Chuck and beg him real nice, he'll mail you a package out with Rona all over it. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can get sick with me, dude. Hey, cool. All right. Well, until our next episode, come home with your shield or honor.